0: Rules and restrictions may apply.
2: Hello, welcome to Smart People Podcast. Chris Stemp here, and it is that time again. Time to bring you another episode to open your mind and hopefully heal your body. You know, you may have noticed, we've had a few guests recently dealing with health and wellness, and personally, that's just a kick that I'm on. And so, as I've done for many years, I go find people that are at the top of this industry, the people who I really respect, Through research and through talking to people and through learning about this, which I've been doing for years, I find who I think can deliver you the most value. And this week, I am so happy and so proud to bring you one of the foremost thought leaders in the field of truly functional medicine. That is Dr. Elizabeth Boehm. And Dr. Boehm is board certified in family medicine from Albany Medical School specializing in functional and integrative medicine. She has her undergraduate degree in nutrition biochemistry from Cornell University and her graduate degree and registered dietitian from Columbia University. What's really exciting is she joined Dr. Mark Hyman at the Ultra Wellness Center in 2007. And prior to that, she practiced integrative medicine at Canyon Ranch in Lenox, Massachusetts. She has written everywhere, been featured everywhere. She was on the Dr. Oz show. Also, I want to mention, Dr. Boehm has a DVD called Breast Wellness, Tools to Prevent and Heal from Breast Cancer. It's an incredible resource for anyone dealing with the issue of breast cancer, and it explores the functional medicine approach to keeping your breasts and whole body well. See, we're not just about men here. You can find much more information about that at her website, drbohm.com. that's D-R-B-O-H-A-M.com, and we will link to it. Additionally, the Ultra Wellness Center is doing some incredible things, and I am thinking about trying to make a trip up there myself. So in this episode, you're going to learn about functional medicine, but really you're going to hear about Elizabeth's story about how she was becoming a doctor, an MD, and she was struck with breast cancer. And how that really changed the way she thought about health, because from everything she knew, she was healthy. Why would this happen to her? And it led her down this path of trying to uncover what's really behind health and wellness and how does disease form. And we're not sugarcoating it. There's a lot we don't know. But there's things that we do know, and I wanted to get clear on those. For example, how many people have heard of food intolerances, right? Well, what's the real science behind that? Is it legitimate? What about your genetics? How do we understand those and learn more about who we are and how our body works? And a number of things similar to that. So that being said, let's get into the interview. Remember, we are at smartpeoplepodcast.com. Rating and review on iTunes would be great. And also, if you're a super fan, if you really are enjoying the show, loving the value, head on over to smartpeoplepodcast.com slash society We're going to be giving free stuff to you, but we're going to be asking for some feedback in return. So this really is for those that, you know, like me, like us, like this show. So again, that's smartpeoplepodcast.com slash society. Here it is, our interview with Dr. Elizabeth Boehm as we talk about functional medicine and her amazing work done at the Ultra Wellness Center. Enjoy. All right, Elizabeth, well, first, thank you so much for being on the show, and thank you for dealing with all these technical difficulties, because the listeners don't get to see it, but there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes, and you and I connecting was one of those few almost disasters, but we made it.
1: Thank you, Chris, so much for having me.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited. You, We were just actually talking about what you do is you are at the forefront of a field that I have become obsessed with over the past five years, and that is really this idea of functional medicine. Why don't you tell us what functional medicine is and what you do currently?
1: Wonderful. So I am a physician at the Ultra Wellness Center in Lenox, Massachusetts. Um, I'm a I, my undergraduate and graduate de- degree was in the field of nutrition, and uh, then I decided that I wanted to learn more. I wanted to understand more about how the body worked and what we can do to. Keep our body well and so I decided to go back to school and went to get my medical degree and became board certified in family medicine and like like many other physicians I, I was a little frustrated with my education process I uh, really my uh, my passion was prevention and wellness and and learning what wanting to know more about how we keep the body well. And so much of my education in, in medical school was in acute care medicine and, and, and people who are really, really ill. And and of course, that's really important, but that, that wasn't so much my, what I wanted to focus on. And I I was frustrated with the lack of nutrition education, the lack of focus on, on prevention and, and, um, and then I got sick myself, and we can go into that later if we want to. But that's when I started to learn about functional medicine, and and um, got a job actually at Canyon Ranch in in Lenox, Massachusetts, and um, met uh, Kathy Swift and Mark Hyman, who had been doing a lot of work in functional medicine, and went to my first. Conference on Functional Medicine, and I remember it was this. It's a week long conference. It's called uh, AFMCP. It's the it's the it's the basic week long course in functional medicine, which really teaches you what is functional medicine, right? Which is a is a different way of of looking at uh, health and not just figuring out naming the disease and finding a medication to suppress the symptoms, but looking for the underlying root cause, looking at how all the different systems in the body are interrelated it's a really personalized approach to medicine and where we spend a good amount of time getting to understand really what's going on with our patient gathering a lot of information about that patient's timeline their their own personal history looking at how all the different systems are in the body are interrelated and influencing how the body is is handling uh, what's going on with them and then working to figure out for that individual person what we need to remove to make them healthier, and what we need to replace to make them healthier. And I remember after that week, I was just blown away. I'm like, this is exactly what I was looking for. It really provided me with this with this roadmap, with this with this way of practicing where I could incorporate my my nutrition background and just the way that I thought about health, disease, wellness, and brought it all together in, in a you know with a system that I that I felt really good doing and, and practicing with. So, so now I'm, I mean, I'm board certified in family medicine, but I, I really am focusing on functional medicine or, you know, just good, good medicine.
2: Yeah. day. think about functional medicine to me. And this is because, as I mentioned, I've been obsessed with it for a good five years now. I feel like it makes so much more sense. So it's almost this idea of functional medicine really sounds like it should be just called medicine. (laughs)
1: Absolutely. And that's what it is. And that's what it is. It's just good medicine.
2: Yeah. And one of the things you said there that is what made me a believer is this idea of how most Western doctors just try to suppress symptoms. And, And the thing is, I'm not bashing Western medicine because it saves lives and the trauma and all that. But most diseases we have today aren't curable. So really, all that means is that we are living with them, and trying to make them as unnoticeable as possible without anyone digging into why it's happening in the first place. And that's so frustrating. So how does functional medicine approach this idea of disease and getting to the bottom of it?
1: Absolutely. I think that many patients and physicians are frustrated with with medicine, especially when we're talking about chronic Disease or chronic imbalances in the body. So what, what I realized is that in medical school, you know, th- what they did is they took. You know, we're really good at acute care medicine in this country. You know, somebody has chest pain, they go into the ER, and we're really good at handling that um, in a timely way. But but the way that they that we were educated. I mean, I this was a while ago now for me, so I'm not. Sh- you know, I'm hopefully some of this is shifting. But the way that we were educated was using that acute care model for chronic disease. So then it still was when somebody came in with heartburn, you said, okay, I'm just going to name this heartburn. And then, okay, let me think what's in my toolkit. I'm going to use, you know, an acid blocker. And, and so, so unfortunately that, that, that method of, of treating chronic disease really doesn't work very well. And it's resulting in everybody being frustrated, patients, physicians, you know, as opposed to us stepping back and saying, okay, let me really get to understand what's going on with this patient let me gather all this information in terms of when did the harper and i'm just using harper as mm-hmm, an example sure. when did it start you know um, what other things have been going on in this patient's uh, life um, what what other illnesses or problems have they dealt with over the years and and putting together a picture to understand for that person why this is, is going on yeah. because if we you know for if you took heartburners as an example, or if you took uh, uh, breast cancer as, as an example, or if you took obesity as, as an example, right, you could have 10 different reasons for why somebody is having that issue and probably even more. And so it's, 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 it makes more sense for us to figure out for that individual person, what are their imbalances that's causing it, this symptom to occur for them?
2: Yeah. And one of the things I worry about, though, because, again, having gone down this rabbit hole a little bit and the amount of information out there is that we still know so little. And I'm not saying we do. I'm just saying that's that's always a concern for me when it comes to medicine, because I worry that, you know, we're going to spend all this time, effort, energy and money and we'll get into the, the money side. And really, oops, we got that wrong, too. You know, I'm thinking about things like food sensitivity testing or microbiome testing that's out there or, you know, organic acid testing, all these things we can do now, which I've done almost all of them. <laughs> Part of me wonders, like, is this based on real science? Oh, abs-
1: absolutely. And what is science? And the more we know, the less we know, right? Yeah. So, so, I mean, what I think is really important and what what I appreciate so much and is is really the body has this tremendous ability to heal mm-hmm. and it it knows way more than we do, and we just need to sort of step back and put it in a place where it can heal, right? Take away things that may be preventing it from healing and support things that it needs in order to heal and 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 to appreciate how how much the body really can do on its own. And we just need to get out of its way, right? Mm-hmm. so, um, I think that's important because the, the science is, yeah, you, you know, this is this is going to go on forever where we're, we're going to learn more, but then we're going to not understand and we're going to have get things wrong. But the but the body really, really has this tremendous ability to heal. We need to tap into that.
2: Yeah. Well, and I want to get into some specifics. But first, you know, one of the things I've found when meeting people who are interested in the space or meeting with doctors who do it is most people get into it uh, because they had something personally impact them. I mean, I know that's what happened with me and why I became really crazy about what I'm eating and and all this insane stuff that I'm trying. And I know you have a story as well. And I was wondering if you'd be willing to kind of share, you you know, just a little bit about your story and then how you feel that has impacted your journey into functional medicine.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So when I was 30 so about 19 years ago um, I was in residency at the time and I found a, a mass in my breast and um, and I was really lucky that I found it I was um, I was learning how to do breast exams on other women right so I, I was practicing oh, wow. on myself in a sense because I don't have a family history of breast cancer I never in my m- mind thought like I, you know you go through medical school you always think you're gonna You always think you have this disease or that disease. (laughs) It's part of the whole process, you know. You kind of get, oh, maybe I have a little schizophrenia, right? (laughs) Uh, But I never imagined that I had breast cancer. Like that was, or that I would get breast cancer. It was nothing that I ever worried about. Mm -hmm. And um, so, but I was doing breast exams on myself because I wanted to be better at 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 doing them for my patients. Mm -hmm. And one day I had this lump, and I'm like, well, what is this, right? And because I was in, um residency, you know, and I, 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 you know, had access, quick access to my attending. I had quick access to my breast surgeon who I just worked with. And so I, I got into the system really quickly, which was ended up being really lucky for me because I had, um, it was, it was stage one, but it was a really aggressive, it was a triple negative breast cancer. And it was, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty big in size. And, um, and, and I go, you go through those stages, right. Of like denial, this can't be it. And, oh my goodness. And, and then, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of bargaining, like, okay, please just let me get through this. And I want to have kids and, mm-hmm. you know, the depression and the acceptance and all those stages of, which I went through when I went through the chemotherapy that I had to go through and the radiation and the surgery, of course. And, and then I came out the other end and I was like, this, this didn't really just happen to me. And I, and then when I started to go, okay, this really did just happen. And because I was, I was really frustrated because you, as I had said earlier, my whole undergraduate graduate degree was in nutrition and exercise right. physiology. And I was like, if you asked any of my friends, I was the healthy one. I was always taking care of myself. I was so into prevention. And, um, you know, I was like, why would my body develop cancer, right? And mm-hmm. what what happened here? And so it sort of led me, of course, on this journey of of figuring out all these other reasons that the body develops cancer, right? So um, I think I really appreciate it. I had great care. And I... I appreciated the, the the conventional medicine care that I had, um, but I knew that I needed to look deeper and and get to really understand uh, things deeper and figure out why this happened and what I could do to prevent this from um, happening again or you know prevent this from happening to my patients. And then uh, I was really lucky. I was able to get pregnant afterwards. And then, so I I now have a daughter and a son. And, you know, so, so then I was like, okay, how how can, what can I figure out that went wrong in my body? And, and, and then I went, as I learned about functional medicine, I'm like, oh, okay. You know, I started to think about my history. So I had this You know, I had a, a, as a child, I got lots of urinary tract infections. I was put on antibiotics all the time, and that messed up my digestive system. And I'm like, okay, I'm sure this had something to do with how I was able to detoxify toxins from the environment and able to detoxify estrogens. And I was on birth control pills for a long time. And I'm, you know, I'm sure that impacted, especially because I wasn't really, uh, my digestive system wasn't working as well. And then I learned more about, a, a genomics and my, my gene variations and go, okay, you know what? I'm not the best detoxifier, right? I, I have some variations in some of my genes that impact how I handle toxins from the environment. And, and so I've got to really think about this. And so I started to work to lower my toxic load, right? So, um, just things like removing silver amalgams that I had in a safe way and, and supporting my body's ability to produce glutathione and, um, uh, and just working to have a cleaner environment because, because genetically I'm not as good at, 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 um, at getting rid of toxins that I'm exposed to. Mm -hmm. And I worked really hard at rebalancing my gut flora and and, you know, getting out of that cycle of chronic antibiotic needs and, 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 and then I, the other area that I really had to work on was how I handled stress. And, um, you know, there's no doubt I, I was d- a diagnosed with cancer, like the, month after I was working in the ICU working nights. And so there's no doubt that my lack, you know, that, that the stress that my body was under impacted how well my immune system was able to work in that, that time. But, but it was longer than that. You know, I, um, I was never somebody that was good at, at um, managing stress. And so it was like, okay, this is a wake up call. You've got to figure this out because you can't keep doing it the same way. Sure. Uh, and, and so that, you know, then you started, I started going down that pathway of, okay, how do I work to calm down my body? And I, I you know, I learned genetically, I, you know, this is an area, even genetically, I know I have to work on. It's something that, um, that, that I have some variations that impact how I handle stress, but, but I can work on it. You know, I, I can really focus on it and give my body time to some downtime, time to meditate, to breathe, to relax, to sleep. And how important that is for your overall health and well-being. And, you know, I was so focused on nutrition and exercise. And listen, I love food. I love the importance of nutrition and food is medicine and, and exercise and all that. But I also needed to learn how to balance uh, my life and relax and calm down and, and reduce stress. And, and that, for me, was really this, you know, this real eye opener.
2: yeah. It's actually crazy when you went through all that, because one of the things that I'm constantly learning in this space, but I got really insane about food. And then I heard some and I wasn't necessarily getting better in terms of the things I was looking to heal. And then I heard somebody say, you know, don't focus so much on one area at the detriment of others. And what I realized is, you know, I have no problem putting thousands of dollars into organic food and supplements and cooking and staying in the kitchen and all this but I couldn't sit down and meditate for five minutes. I wasn't going, doing any real meaningful exercise. And I realized, wow, it is this holistic approach that can be hard to accomplish or hard to focus on so many different things.
1: Yeah. And balance, right? For all of us, balance is really that the hardest thing to achieve and balance, whether it's whether it's with our diet or, or balance with whether it's with our exercise or balance, whether it's with stress or a- anything, you know, and, and, and what's really important and why I love functional medicine is we take the time to understand our patients. Right. And I think that's important for, for the doctor patient relationship, but also for everybody as an individual so that they can figure out, okay, for me, this is where I need to focus and create more balance in my life. You know, so there, I might have a patient where it's really important that I'm on top of them about being stricter with their diet, because if I wasn't, they, they wouldn't be. Mm. But then there's somebody else who really, you know, they, they're a little bit um, too strict in a sense. Mm. And 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 creating that balance is really important um, for, for each person.
2: Yeah. Well, let's, I have so many, now, see, I told you, I'd have so many things written <laughs> down 10 minutes in. So here's here's my plan of attack. I want to talk about Uh, genomics, gut flora, stress, detoxification, and some other things. But let's start with what do you see most in terms of people coming to you to resolve? Because there's there's tens of thousands of people listening. And given what I know about the state of health in in our world, I mean, probably 50% are dealing with something, whether it be you know, cancer, obesity, diabetes, autoimmune disease, et cetera, chronic fatigue. So this really, this approach is for all of those. But I'm interested, what do you see the most and what do you see people struggling with the most?
1: Yeah. I mean, we see, we see everything from people who just want to get healthy and well to people who have chronic fatigue or who are dealing with infections that their body can't get rid of, um, whether it's you know, tick-borne infection, or a virus, or um, or uh, people with with cancer, or as you said, metabolic syndrome, diabetes. We see people from from all over the board, and a lot of times people just feel, you know, they don't feel well, and um, and so that's that's what's you know really fun about my job is that we see such a wide range of patients with a lot of different issues, and I really like trying to determine and figure out with them, where are the areas that they need to work? And one of the, um, uh, you know, one of the, the founders of functional medicine, Sid Baker, one of the original physicians practicing functional medicine, you know, he always says you need to, you know, replace what is needed in the body for healing and remove what shouldn't be there. It's just as easy as that. Right. And, um, and in some ways, that's true, right? So we just need to figure out for that individual person what they need to thrive and to get well, and what we need to remove from that's getting in their way, okay? Right? Whether whether it's an infection or a lack of a B vitamin or you know or uh, too much stress or right?
2: So mm-hmm. uh, so basically, you know, it covers the gamut. Let me ask you this: What aspects of modern or not modern? What aspects of Western Standard medicine, do you believe in incorporating? So, what I mean is, you know, what kind of treatments, antibiotics, antivirals, you know, uh, therapies that that people do know of, as opposed to the the functional medicine specifics.
1: You know, I think the biggest difference between functional medicine and the way I was trained is just the thought process. Mm. So, it's really taking the time to understand that individual person and. And as I said, remove and replace, right? So, so it's not so much that there's one treatment that's in conventional medicine that's not in functional, or the same thing, one thing that's in functional that's not in conventional. It's really just good medicine. And if if I need to use an antibiotic, I surely do. Or if I need to send somebody to the ER, I'll you know they I will do that absolutely. Um, it's important that we that, that we use the best of medicine. And it's really just the thought process that's going into it. It's not that what, um, a doctor that's training conventional medicine and not using the principles of functional medicine, that they're doing something wrong, but it's just that sometimes, um, uh, they're, they're they don't have the time or the tools to go deeper, right? So that they might not have the time to dig deeper and understand that individual patient and figure out where their obesity is coming from, right? Or or have the tools to to implement a, a nutrition approach. So really, in medical school, I mean the, the amount of nutrition education that physicians get is is dismal. And so they don't even have the tools to use food as medicine. They don't. They don't. They, a lot of times, patients go, well, my doctor said it didn't matter what I ate." And it's just because they were never educated to understand that food is, of course impacting this disease and this is how you you adjust the food so that you that person can heal so that's not part and we're working hard within functional medicine to try to get that into medical school training so that that physicians have the tool to be a the tools to be able to use nutrition as medicine
2: yeah but who are these doctors who don't know that things like you know your what you eat and the stress and the exercise or or you know, maybe it's the toxic load or the infections you're fighting. I mean, who are these doctors that don't know that that's a thing? In, in 2018, when 15-year-olds know more about nutrition than these doctors, what's their problem?
1: You know, I think it's—the system is, is, you know, physicians have to see so many patients in so little amount of time. And, you know, they're reimbursed for a certain thing. And this whole way it's set up is not— helpful for having a uh, for for physicians really spending the time or taking the time to acknowledge or utilize what we're speaking about i mean i yeah. think that's really the biggest issue
2: yeah and i wanted to i do want to touch on the economic aspect but let's go through some specifics and i i want to ask you in terms of genes so say there's somebody out there who wants to learn more about how their body is unique genetically. And and things like how they metabolize or detoxify, is there anything we can do on our own? Or is the simple answer, look, you have to go work with somebody. Because the reason I ask is, if you have to go work with somebody, that's going to limit the amount of people that will take action due to availability or cost.
1: Absolutely. So the, the, you know how we were saying before, there's so much we know, but there's so much we we don't know. And so, you know, you can get a lot of information about your genome and your g- genetic SNPs or variations, but it really is hard to sift through all that information unless you're working with somebody that has some knowledge. And, and unfortunately, some of the information on the internet is takes you down rabbit holes and isn't, isn't that helpful. So I, I mean I do I will often recommend to our my patients they can do something like 23andme and then take their information and put it into a uh, a website that will give them some of their variations in their genetics mm-hmm. like there's a website like genetic genie but the mm-hmm. but the problem is if you don't have somebody looking at that with you, you might think, oh my goodness, I've got all these genetic variations. Oh no. And, and, and what, what, what is important about having a practitioner that works with you is that I'm like, you know what? Everybody has genetic variations. We need to look at patterns and figure out where we need to focus. So it, it unfortunately is hard to sort of just set you down that path of just kind of doing it on your own. But more and more providers are learning about this and could help people sift through. The other thing that people can ask, one one gene that's been really researched a lot and you can get your, uh, your you can go to a conventional lab, regular lab and have it checked is the MTHFR gene. And 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 you can ask your doctor to, to to run this. So I would recommend you know if somebody has a history of depression or fatigue, um, you know they can ask their physician to run this gene variation, and then and then have that conversation with their their doctor. Or you know maybe they need a little more methylated B vitamins, um, or they need a diet that's richer in folate, like you're just having more green leafy veggies. That would really help their their. Um, their energy and their mood, mm-hmm. but, but outside of that, it's, it's just this really complicated area for people who are, are um, who are trying to do it on their own without somebody who has a lot of, um, a, a knowledge in this area yeah. and it, experience, unfortunately. Well,
2: and I was wondering if that's what you're going to say, because from personal experience, I, I went the route and this was a while ago. I mean, this had to be probably at least two years ago of, uh 23andMe, then yeah. and people might not know this, but then you can request your entire, I don't know what it is, sequencing in this big yep. in this big file. And then I ran it through Genetic Genie. I ran it yep. through something called livewell.io, I believe it is, uh, which is very similar. And they tell you all your SNPs and then they give you recommendations, and then you can be part of forums. So it's like if you have this SNP, here's what helps. And I have to tell you, it is absolutely insane. It is. Yeah. I mean, I spent weeks like I'm smart. I'm figuring this out. And I came out with the craziest stuff. And I said, forget it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's it's. And and you know what? And what we see is it's not helping people get well because they're spent they're just going down this path of all this information and so much of it is not even helpful. Right, And they're trying to weed through it and they're having conversations with other people that are focusing too much on it. And, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's not necessarily a, a healthy thing to be spending our time on. Sure. Um, you know, and, and it is, it's, it's, it can be a rabbit hole. And like I said, there's a lot we don't know. Mm-hmm. So people are making assumptions on stuff and recommendations in areas that where there's really not enough information. Right. And it's just one piece of the puzzle, right? It's just, it's one part of who we are.
2: Yeah. But I will say it's fascinating. And the things I've learned about myself, like I've always (laughs) known that coffee for me is jet fuel. And then I learned that I have some uh, mutation that just metabolizes coffee really slowly. And so I mean, I have a cup and I'm like on crack for six hours or whatever. Yep. Um, and sure enough, it's just a gene. And guess who else has it? My mom. And so it's you see it in real life. You know what I mean? Absolutely. It's so, fascinating. I, it is. And, that's and why then
1: I, and then you go, you know what, if, if you're having a hard time sleeping or I'm, I'm, I'm the same way mm-hmm. in terms of coffee. Yeah. And, you know, it's not it, it for me, especially when I uh, you know, I, I, it's not always helpful for me to be, you know, consuming enough, too much caffeine, right? It it pushes me over the edge. I don't need that extra adrenaline. You know, it it just is almost my, my body perceives it as stress and it ends up being more fatiguing for me.
2: On that note, because a lot of people drink coffee, I actually, uh, have been doing something for the past six weeks. I, I've been on the, uh, elimination diet, like the autoimmune protocol and Uh have eliminated everything. It's been kind of insane, but. In terms of coffee, I notice I still do get more done for a short period of time on coffee, right? So I feel like I'm still missing that supercharge.
1: Well, and that's this whole thing about balance, right? So that what's great about an elimination diet, when you do, when you eliminate caffeine and sugar and the common inflammatory foods is that you clear the playing field and you get to understand, okay, how does my body feel off of all this. Mm -hmm. And then you can figure out as when you do a slow reintroduction, one thing at a time, you know, how these foods or, you know, substances are impacting you. And then you can determine the right balance for you and your health. And maybe, maybe one cup of coffee in the morning is absolutely fine for you. And it's not going to, cause more anxiety and it's not going to, um, impact your sleep and, but maybe two cups is too much. Right. Uh, and, yeah. and, 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 it's finding your individual balance. Um,
2: yeah, it's important. Now that's a great point. And while we're on this topic of food and the next thing I wanted to discuss was food sensitivities. They're, yes. they're, they're everywhere. You can get them tested. Now I see every other ad on Facebook is about a different sensitivity test. So here's what I'd like to hear. Um, First of all, assuming most people know what it is, basically it's a non full on allergic reaction, but it's a sensitive reaction that causes inflammation, et cetera. Um, And you can clarify if you'd like, but how much faith do you put in that?
1: Yeah. So there's many ways we can react to a food. So traditionally when people say you have a food allergy, that's an IgE, Immunologic reaction in your body, and that's usually an immediate reaction to a food. So p- you think about um, you have uh, uh, a peanut or 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 dairy, and you get a hive or your throat closes up. Um, that is an immediate reaction to a food. An IgG reaction is a more delayed reaction. It's also the immune system reacting to a food, but it's a it's a more delayed reaction. It can occur. Any time within after you ate the food to 72 hours after you eat the food, and food sense so we call those food sensitivities. Um, and the more you um, the more you consume of that food, the that it's it's additive, right? So if you have more of a food that can impact you uh, stronger, if you don't have very much of the food, you might not notice a reaction. That's very different than an IgE reaction, where even a small amount can cause a, a you know a hive or a reaction in the body. So food sensitivities are a real thing, a lot of science behind it. Um, you know, IFM's really done a really good job at, at, at pu- pulling it all together. But with any food allergy or food sensitivity test, even food allergy testing, whether it's skin prick testing or blood draw, and then food sensitivity testing, there are false positives and false negatives. That means that there are things that show up, that actually are not causing you symptoms. And there are times when you are getting symptoms from a food and it's not showing up. So the tests are not perfect. Um, they can be helpful, but they're, they're not perfect. And so that's why a lot of times we will recommend an elimination diet, whether we do a, a, a a comprehensive elimination diet and remove lots of different foods, or we'll just maybe do one or two food elimination diets. So, um, because, because that really helps us figure out how foods are impacting how you feel.
2: Yeah, because it sounds like here's the thing if anybody hasn't done these food sensitivity tests, you get a list, it could be 50, it could be 250 of foods, and then how you react to them, you know, nothing mild, a lot, et cetera. Um, and I mean, I've taken about four of them over the past seven years. One time cranberries showed up, one time bananas showed up. Uh every time oh, things like eggs and dairy showed up, which is fairly common, I so I've learned. But yes, you know, it can be very uh, alarming, it can be disheartening. it can be, uh, it can really diminish your food choices to some extent. So then knowing as you mentioned that eh, it's not perfect, I'm thinking, did I just cut dairy out for five years and I didn't really need to? I, I mean, I guess the elimination diet you're mentioning is one, aspect of that what, what are your thoughts on on that
1: yeah so typically we'll have we sometimes use those some type of food sensitivity and food allergy testing to determine what we're going to eliminate with somebody well let's say somebody goes on a comprehensive elimination diet where they remove eggs dairy gluten soy sugar um, sometimes red meat uh, peanuts um, shellfish citrus that that's like a, a real comprehensive and that you remove those for a period of time the idea is to do it for about three weeks, and and monitor your symptoms. How am I how am I doing with this? You know, um, and then the most important part is the reintroduction. When you reintroduce one food at a time, so um, and I think that's very important for for most foods you know or let's say you, you you know you think oh i really am reacting to blueberries also you might remove that but then there should be a reintroduction period where you take one food at a time and say okay now i'm going to reintroduce eggs i'm going to have eggs two times today i'm going to have an egg twice today and then i'm going to see how i feel for the next 3 days and and then monitor my symptoms to get a feeling for how foods are impacting me so unless somebody has celiac disease which is a reaction to gluten where they shouldn't ever have, have gluten and you never want to reintroduce it right but if people just have food sensitivities really our goal is to help heal the digestive system you know remove foods for a period of time but then reintroduce and to re- and if they are not reacting to those foods and they're healthy foods then we want them to eat those
2: one of the things that i learned that made it all made it palatable was that you can heal the gut such that those foods no longer negatively impact you. The the problems with sensitivities are this this porous gut, which yes. uh, I want to ask you about as well. So let's talk about the microbiome, right? Everybody's favorite keyword these days, leaky gut, which if you haven't heard the term leaky gut, you are living under a rock. And one of the things that scares me as much as I like the idea of it, have focused on it, is Historically, when we hear something so much, it tends to be overblown. And if you think about anything, right, like uh, any diet in the past, any health food kick, no fat or trans fats or whatever, you know, it comes back to bite us. I'm worried that that might happen with leaky gut. So what I'd love to hear from you is, I guess, a quick definition on what it is for those that don't know and what you feel we truly know almost as factual at this point.
1: Okay. So when people say leaky gut what they're referring to is increased intestinal permeability. So that's the official term. And so the there's a barrier between the inside of your intestine and your body. So think of it as, you know, your intestine is this tube, you know, and and there's a barrier the out the, the between where the food is inside the intestine and what gets into your body. And that barrier, the intestinal barrier, is very, very important. And there's a lot of research here. You know, this, this barrier is critical for many, many things in terms of our health. Um, If that barrier breaks down, we can then react to foods like we wouldn't react to them. We wouldn't have reacted to them if that barrier was working nice and strong. Um, If that barrier breaks down bacteria, part of the microbiome, bugs can get across into the body and can be triggers for autoimmunity, for example. And a lot of this research was done, um, there's many people in the field, but Alessio Fasano um, has has a lot of good uh, research papers on this concept of the the gut and this intestinal barrier and how critical it is to have a well-working barrier. So that, uh, and then when it does break down, there can be many things, whether it's food bugs that can trigger the immune system to make mistakes and create autoimmune disease, which could be anything from Hashimoto's thyroiditis to um, lupus to uh, uh, rheumatoid arthritis. So one of the things we, we always focus on is what's going on with somebody's digestive system and what do we need to do to heal it? And remember at the beginning, we were talking about what do we need to remove and what do we need to replace, right? What are the things that we need to do to calm down any inflammation that's going on in the gut that may be precipitating or causing more leakiness? Um, and what do we need to replace to help heal the digestive system? Whether that's improving the, the, the diet and the health of the diet, um, getting more protein in the diet, getting more vitamin A and zinc, you know, different nutrients. Those things are important for creating a good, strong barrier,
2: Yeah. And I've heard a lot about Fasano after all this stuff has been popularized. And one of the things he is the uh, leader on is saying gluten is bad, right? I mean, isn't he the one that said everyone should be avoiding gluten?
1: Um, I'm not sure. I I don't want to speak for him. And I don't know exactly if he's saying that everybody should be avoiding gluten, but there has been some conversation or some researcher that has said. That gluten can cause some inflammation in the digestive system, and and for I think the critical area is that for some people that then can can lead to or result in more inflammation in the body. Okay. So you know I think we need to think a lot about. Uh, there, there's so many things to discuss in this area when know. you know when we <laughs> talk about this, the, the, our food supply and the, the damage we've done to our food supply. And is that why gluten's an issue? And is is it the glyphosate on the gluten? Or is, I mean, there's a lot we don't know, but there are many people definitely that react to gluten in all sorts of different ways. Um, but there are people that don't, right? So I think that, that, um, but unfortunately a lot of the sources of gluten that we consume are in refined and processed foods and we don't have a, a gluten requirement, right? There's no, uh, RDI or recommended dietary intake of gluten <laughs> that we need. So it is a food that we can often remove and, um, it often results in people eating less refined and processed breads and crackers and cookies and pastries anyway. So, um, the problem comes in when people say, oh, okay, I'm going to go gluten-free, but I'm going to replace it with, this gluten-free bread, or this gluten-free cookie, or this gluten-free muffin, and then it, you're we're not necessarily getting a healthier diet.
2: Yeah, it's so oh man. Well, that that's
1: there's what, a lot of questions about about gluten, but there are a lot of people. I mean, the, you know, one thing that I, it, you know what I really appreciate is the continuum of our health, and so so often. You know the way I was trained in conventional medicine, or sometimes doctors will say, "Well, you don't have celiac, or you do have celiac. It's right. either one or the other." Right. But we realize that there's this, there's there's more of a continuum. Of course, there is, right? Where where this may be a, a non-celiac gluten sensitivity, or it may be a um, um, just a uh, just a gluten sens- uh, a gluten sensitivity because there's been damage to the digestive system, and that once we heal it you know that people can eat some gluten in moderation without any concern. So mm. so I think that's that's important to understand that there's this continuum.
2: So it, really the only way to know for gluten is either you have celiac which you can get tested for or to do an elimination diet, right?
1: Yeah, I mean I think that if if you have a family history of autoimmune disease, if you have a family history of celiac disease, if you really have a lot of digestive issues and um, or growth issues in a child, or there may be some question that this is celiac, you really want to have the testing for celiac disease. You want to know if it's celiac or not, because if it is celiac, then it's it's, it's 100% you don't want to eat gluten, and that's really as far as we know now, you're know, gonna go be for life. Yeah. Right. So, for those people that, that test negative for celiac, and then the question is okay, let's do a removal and a typical time we'll say is, okay, go off of gluten for, you know, three weeks. And of course, it depends on the person and their symptoms and all that, what we decide to, to recommend. But typically, you could say, let's stop it for three weeks and see how you feel. Pay attention to your joints, pay attention to inflammation, pay attention to your um, your digestive system, um, or just your, your um, focus and concentration or your mood. You know, pay attention to how you're feeling. And then, and then if then to, to figure out how much gluten's impacting you, unless you know, you really just don't want to eat it, right? You want to do a reintroduction. And when you do that reintroduction, you wanna have some just just bread, for example. You wouldn't want to have pizza, because then there'd be gluten and cheese and
2: uh, right, know, yeah. things,
1: right? Just choose to have bread, maybe like a piece of good healthy bread, two times um in, uh, in a day and then monitor your symptoms for the next three days and, and really say, okay, how did this make me feel? Um, and, and that's where you can get the biggest information in terms of how gluten's impacting you.
2: Well, Elizabeth, I mean, I honestly could talk to you for days, but I (laughs) know how busy you are because you've talked about all the things you do, I want to learn a little bit more though, before we leave about the ultra wellness center, about what you're doing currently, how you're helping people, uh, how people can either work with you or just work with others to get better on this so tell us a little bit more about what you're currently doing
1: right so um uh the ultra wellness centers in lenox massachusetts we do see people from all over the world when they come to see a physician they have to come the first time in person but then we do a lot of of follow ups either by phone or skype if as as needed um, people can also work with the Ultra Wellness Center without coming to Lennox, Massachusetts uh, by working with one of our nutritionists. And so they can, they can do an appointment with the nutritionist the first time by phone. So that's, that's an option. So it's ultrawellnesscenter.com to learn more. Um, and uh, I, I'm also, you know, as, I, as we were talking about my uh, history with breast cancer, mm-hmm. you know, I, I put together a DVD on, on breast wellness um, and tools to prevent and heal from breast cancer and really looking at the whole functional medicine approach. So, um, you know, and I, I have a, uh, I would love to, you know, give your audience a discount code. If they're interested, they can get that through my website. It's at drboham.com and the discount code is breast 30 wellness. And if they put that in, they'll get 30% off. There's also, you can also download a free ebook from my website. So that's, that's available there too at drboham.com. And um it really it's been really fun speaking with you today, Chris.
2: Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. I was unaware of the discount, so let's go back over that again. It's Dr. Boham, so that's D-R-B-O-H-A-M dot com. And Correct. that code is breast thirty wellness. And by the way, for those listening who are just learning about Elizabeth, um, I mean, you're incredible. You're you're the information you put out there is amazing. Your pedigree is amazing. I I just want people to know that you are at the top of this field. So if there's something people are dealing with specifically, maybe it's breast cancer or otherwise at the ultra wellness center, definitely reach out. We will link to this on, um, on the website and in the newsletter we send out. So I really appreciate that before we let you go. What are three things you recommend? I'm sure you get a question like this all the time, so you've got your your answer, but three things you recommend to those to live a healthier life?
1: Oh, boy. Three things. Um, get some movement every day. So, you know, exercise, but movement. My mother likes me to say movement, not exercise. So <laughs> move every day. You know, get outside, go for a walk, go for a jog, lift some weights, whatever you like to do. Dance. Um give yourself time adequate time to rest and and relax and that includes getting your you know 7 to 9 hours of sleep so it's a little hard for you right now chris but you'll 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 make up for it <laughs> um so give yourself time to rest and relax and and then you know get in those your your vegetables really get in a lot of vegetables in your diet eat from the rainbow get all sorts of different colors of vegetables in your diet every day
2: but what's the best vegetable
1: Oh, the best, it they're all great. No, nope, what's all the best wonderful. one? <laughs> There's the, I love broccoli. Broccoli? Ugh.
2: Yeah. Now, I mean, it's good, but you know, I, at least you didn't say kale, which is also good, but it's just pretty common. Oh, man. <laughs> well, again, Dr. Boham, thank you so, so much.
1: Uh, it was great. Great being with you, Chris. This was fun.
0: Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Dr. Elizabeth Boehm. Her DVD, Breast Wellness, Tools to Prevent and Heal from Breast Cancer, can be found on her website at drbohm.com. That's D-R-B-O-H-A-M dot You can find it directly by going to drbohmcom order. And if you use the discount code BREAST30WELLNESS, that's BREAST30WELLNESS, you get 30% off. As always, if you like the show and you want to show us a little love and support, please make sure to use the Smart People Podcast Amazon link located at smartpeoplepodcast.com slash Amazon. And if you're looking for other free and easy ways to support the show, head over to iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review over there. If you'd like to reach out to the show, you can email us at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. Don't forget to head over to the website, smartpeoplepodcast.com. You can see all of the episodes over there. You can sign up for the newsletter. You can sign up for Smart People Society, which if you haven't been there yet, smartpeoplepodcast.com slash society. All right, that's it for us this week. We've got a lot of great episodes coming up, so make sure you stay tuned, and we will see you all next episode.